uh, a few years, this will probably be a very familiar section. And as we read these words, I want you to um, ask yourself, what is surprising about what Jesus says here? Try and look at it with fresh eyes this morning. What strikes you as being surprising about what Jesus says? Then the eleven disciples, verse 16, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what strikes you as surprising? Have a look at those verses again. I think there's a number of surprises in here, but one of the ones that struck me this week was the prominence of baptism. Did you notice that? You know, go and make disciples, stresses the importance of uh, evangelism, the, the importance of uh, teaching, edification, teach them everything I've commanded you. But in the middle of that, before the teaching part, there's this very strong emphasis on baptism. Why is baptism so important to the Lord Jesus? Why is that, do you think? Well, I want to put that to one side for the moment. Uh, if, you're, if you're visiting this morning, then uh, a special welcome to you. Our normal practice is to teach and preach through books of the Bible. And we're doing something a little bit unusual at the moment. We're sort of doing more of a topical series, and we're looking at this topic, what on earth are we here for? If we lived in a meaningless universe uh, that uh, was nothing but matter, that suddenly popped into existence for no apparent reason, then we'd have to come up with our own illusory answers to that question, wouldn't we? What, am I, what on earth am I here for? But not only would reason tell us that uh, this is a fanciful notion, but actually the God who created all things has entered into the world as the man Jesus of Nazareth and revealed himself through Jesus, and he's given us his instruction manual in the Bible. And so we're not left to uh, just work it out for ourselves. Actually, the answers are given here. And we thought last week that uh, we were created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That, that's essentially what we considered. Rick Warren puts it in this way. You were planned for God's pleasure. We, we, we considered how actually the, the key the insight to understanding life is to know that it's not all about you. It is actually all about Him and what He has done. And if you missed the talk, as Liam said, well, please go back to uh, the website and you can download and listen to uh, last week's sermon. I encourage you to do that as, as we considered how we were here 
to love God. But today I want us to consider the the second reason for why we are here. Because not only were we planned for God's pleasure to love God, but we were also formed for God's family. This is the second great reason why we are here. You are formed to be part of God's family. The entire Bible, in a sense, is the story of God building a family who will love him, honor him, and reign with him forever. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, look at that verse. What it's saying is this, that God has this unchanging plan of adopting people into his family by bringing them to himself through Jesus Christ. And all of this gives him great pleasure. God takes great delight in gathering up people from all the different nations of the world through faith in the Lord Jesus into his family. This is one of the reasons that you exist, to belong to God's family. You were formed for God's family. We have a number of friends who've adopted children into their family. And after a long process of going through, attending courses, passing assessments, a matching process and a legal process, comes the, uh, the gotcha day. That's what they're calling it. The gotcha day. I think it probably comes from America, doesn't it? Uh, it's that incredible day when that child becomes part of your family. And there's nothing random or unplanned. We've got some pictures up there, David. There's nothing random or unplanned about that process. It requires huge effort. It's a roller coaster of emotions. But what joy and delight for the parents when this child becomes theirs to love and to care for. And those who put their faith in Jesus Christ discover as they read the Bible that behind all the ran- apparently random events of their life, that actually God has been working out a plan to include them into his family. So in James chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That's the amazing discovery. You might think, well, I, I, I found Jesus. I found God. You just have watch it. You know, he found you. And he's included you. And he's brought you. He had this great plan before the creation of the world. And he's been working it out. And all of this is out of his gracious love. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we, people like us, should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's really important uh, to understand that while every human being is created by God, 
not everyone is a child of God. You become part of the human family by your first birth, but you become part of God's family by a second birth. And the way you enter God's family is by faith in Jesus Christ. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And so rightly, Christians are described as those who are born again. But the key part of thinking about this being born again is to realize that uh, we are born again into God's family. That through faith in Jesus, we now have a new spiritual family of brothers and sisters to which we belong. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Do you see that having come to love God, we also love God's family? There is an unbreakable link. So 1 John chapter 4, it says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For everyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so in our new church logo, uh, the red symbol with the heart reminds us that the first step of discipleship is to, is to love God. And then the green symbol with the, the tree is there to remind us that we're called to grow in Christ-likeness, which is something we're, we're going to consider next week. Can you move the next slide on, David? But it's essential that we understand, uh, before we think about growing in Christ-likeness, that, that actually we're supposed to grow in Christ-likeness together. That, that's the crucial insight. Um, we are to grow as part of the family of God, as, as members of his church. And today I want to take the time to think about two key aspects that anchor us into the family of God. And that is baptism and church membership. Now why is baptism such a key part of the Great Commission? It is because it is fulfilling this purpose that we were made to belong in the fellowship of God's eternal family. And baptism symbolizes this second purpose for our, for our lives. Not only were we made to, to glorify God, but we were made to actually belong to his family. If the first purpose is, is worship, the second purpose is fellowship. And there's so many places we could turn to in the New Testament to demonstrate this, but this is a pattern that is clearly seen in Acts chapter 2. So uh, please turn to that in page 1094. In 
well, 1093, let's go from verse 22. What's the context here? Well, this is uh, what happened on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, just a few weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and just as Jesus had promised, God's Holy Spirit blow, blew in like a hurricane where the dis- disciples were sitting. Tongues of fire separated and rested upon them. They, they spoke in languages that uh, they hadn't learned and they were understood by people from different nations. And this caused a, a commotion, a large crowd gathered. And so Peter stands up to explain and show how it all pointed to Jesus being both Lord and Christ. So have a look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And look down at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For God did not ascend to heaven For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when the people heard this, They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Pause there for a moment. Now, my Christian friends, how would you have responded? What shall we do? What would you have said? Perhaps some would say, well, open your heart to Jesus. Or others would say, well, put your faith in Jesus Christ or or something else. But look what Peter says. Peter replied, verse 38, repent and what? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What do we expect him to say? We expect him to say, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But instead he says, the way back to God is to repent and be baptized. Well, what do you make of that? Well, here is the point. The personal response of trust in Jesus is made public through baptism. The way we demonstrate to others that we are sorry for our sin and that we're turning 
to put our faith in Jesus Christ is by being baptized. In the New Testament, all Christians were baptized, and all the evidence we have points to people being baptized as soon as they embraced the gospel. Uh, the only rare exception being the thief on the cross who didn't really have much opportunity. After trusting Christ, it seems that baptism is the first thing that faith does. It's how faith shows itself before God, the church, and the world. I think as I studied this week, it struck me again that baptism is not an optional ritual. It's not to be delayed. It's not to be postponed. Christ commissioned his apostles to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is just full of meaning. Uh, Baptism is how you identify yourself with Jesus. It's the visible way you show your faith in Jesus. It signifies that you are united with him in his death and burial and resurrection. That's, that's the significance of going under the water. It's going to be great fun, I think, next Saturday, explain to people who come in for the open day that this is, this is what we do when we baptize people as we put them under the water. Uh, we'll show some videos of that. We're not going to be baptizing someone constantly during the day. That would be... I, I've already got a cold as it is. Uh, but, you know, as we put them under the water, that we're saying, well, I, I, I've been crucified and buried with Christ. And as they come out of the water, they've been raised with Christ. It symbolizes your death to your old life of living for yourself. It symbolizes your new life with Christ, just as uh, ancient Israel uh, walked from their old life of slavery into their new life of, of, of living and serving God through uh, walking through the Red Sea. Baptism is, is the point where we symbolize that we are going from our old life into our new life with Christ. Baptism is where salvation is enacted and can be seen visibly. How do I know whether someone's a Christian or not? Well, baptism is one of the ways that I know that someone is a Christian. They've been baptized. They've, they've identified themselves with Christ. So Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4 uh, says of it in this way, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you loved rugby, yesterday was an amazing day. You know, I I, I mean, South Africa should have thrashed Japan. And I'm not saying this to be harsh to our South African friends, but they really should have. And the incredible thing was, I don't know whether you saw when they panned the crowd, the number of non-Japanese-looking people wearing Japanese rugby shirts... And I bet you the sales will go through the roof this week as well. And, and, and really, baptism is how you publicly identify yourself, not just with, with Christ, but you're publicly identifying yourself with Christ's team, that you're part of his family. It is the way you identify before the church and the world that you belong to the triune God. You are baptized into the name of the Father 
and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says this, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. It's amazing. I love the diversity of Christ Church. This church really does display some of that diversity. And you know what? We're all made one as we get into the baptistry pool together and symbolize that we are part of the one body together with Christ. So have you been baptized? Um, if the answer is no, and you're someone who professes to be a Christian, come and speak to me. Come and speak to one of the elders or, uh, or one of the other pastors, and we'll arrange to, uh, to baptize you. Perhaps you're put off by the thought of doing it in front of so many people. Uh, last night, Liam uh, preached... Uh, last night, last week. My brain is not working fully. Last Sunday night, Liam preached on Acts chapter uh, 16 about uh, the Philippian jailer. And it says that uh, after this amazing conversion story, he and his household also believed and were baptized that very night. So I'm guessing that they probably just got on with it. And you know what? If, if, if getting baptized in front of all these people puts you off, come and speak to me. We'll arrange some other time. Uh, we can fill up the pool here and arrange for you just to invite a few of your family and friends. We'll baptize you there. I'll come to your house and baptize you in your house with your family if you want. Jesus says, believe and be... Uh, uh, Peter says, repent and be baptized. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized. Can you imagine that? What a day. What an exhausting day. That's a lot of people. 3,000 people, and the Christian church jumped from about 120 to 3,120. And have a look at verse 41 of chapter 2. Because verse 41 shows that, that, that baptism is the step that brings them into the membership of the Jerusalem church. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It seems as if baptism is really the sort of the doorway into membership of the Jerusalem church. And we get this wonderful description of what a spirit-filled New Testament church looks like from verse 42 to 47. What are some of the things that the, the church did there? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see the pattern? People got saved, they got baptized, and they were added to the church. Really, this is the New Testament pattern. Now, I, I want to come back to this description of uh, what a, a spirit-filled local church looks like maybe next week. But back to our or original question. What on earth am I here for? Well, you were made to love God. You were made to glorify Him. You were made for worship. That, that's reason number one. Secondly, you were made to love God's family. You were made for fellowship. 
to belong to Christ's people, a community of believers, and to be baptized into the loving fellowship of God and his people. We're not to live the Christian life alone, the Bible says. And if you have a wet Sunday afternoon, then why not uh, do a little Bible study and look up all the references in the Bible to all the one another's of Christian fellowship. You just get, can't get past this. Greet one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Agree with one another. Forgive one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do you see how crucial this is to growth in Christ-likeness? We need what? One another. Did you get, did you get the point? That's what we need. And this is one of life's greatest privileges to be part of such a loving community, to be part of the family of God. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's a great verse to meditate on for the awesome privilege of belonging to Christ and his church. Those who put their faith in Jesus are part of the same family as Jesus. Who's in your family? Jesus is in my family. Who's in your family? Do you know who's in mine? Jesus is in my family. And do you know what? If you were to speak to Jesus, you say, that Paul Reese, is he part of your family? He would say, yes. He's not ashamed. That's amazing, really. I'm a bit ashamed of myself sometimes. He's not ashamed to call me a brother. If you're trusting Christ, he's not ashamed to call you his sister or his brother. What an incredible thing. Jesus pointed to his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Being included in the family of God is the highest honor, the greatest privilege that you'll ever receive. Nothing else can come close to that. Whenever you feel unimportant, unloved, or insecure, remember to whom you belong. You were formed for God's 